Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to another edition of Alternative News brought to you by Romina Betsin and Andrew Irving from the Campaign for International Cooperation and Disarmament produced at the community radio station 3CR. In this week's program, whether the Turkish government will invade Syria, the start of the campaign to oppose the most recent attack on Medicare and the Christian lobby seeking that the anti-discrimination laws be overridden for the plebiscite campaign on same-sex marriage. Whether Erdogan will invade Syria. Turkey's link with the Syrian rebels has been severely weakened by the collapse of the Geneva talks and the advances of Syrian regime forces from the north to Aleppo with the support of Russian air power. Dramatic developments are taking place in the Azaz Jarablus corridor, which served as a lifeline for Syrian rebels backed by Turkey, Saudi Arabia and Qatar, and also more or less for those endorsed by the United States. The fighting there is not only depriving Turkey of its most prized power in Syria, but also triggering a massive migration of Syrian refugees to the Turkish border fleeing the current fighting zone. Turkey is already under strain due to some 2.5 million refugees. It is now faced with tens of thousands of potential newcomers. There are sufficient reasons for Erdogan to send Turkish ground troops into Syria, particularly to Aleppo, so Ankara can hold some ground around the Azaz-Jarablus corridor. Also, this could be some kind of test to both Russia's commitment to the Syrian regime and NATO's determination to support the Syrian opposition. Since the Russian military intervention in Syria overturned the military balance created by the victories of the Al-Qaeda-affiliated Al-Nusra Front and its allies last year, the Obama administration has quietly retreated from its former position that Assad must go. These political and military changes have obviously implications for the UN-sponsored Geneva peace negotiations. The Assad regime and its supporters are now well positioned to exploit the talks politically, while the armed opposition is likely to boycott them for the foreseeable future. Supporters of the armed opposition are already expressing anger over what they regard as an Obama administration betrayal of the fight against Assad. But the Obama policy shift in Syria must be understood. Like most of the administration's Middle East policy decisions as a response to external events that is mediated by domestic political considerations. The initial Obama administration's public stance on the Russian air campaign in Syria last October and early November suggested that the United States was merely waiting for Russia's intervention to fail. 
The dramatic successes in late January, when Syrian government troops recaptured the town of Salma in Latakia province, held by al-Nusra Front since 2012, and the strategic al-Sheikh Maskin lost two anti-Assad rebels in late 2014, regaining control of Dara-Damascus Highway. Even more significant, the Syrian army has now cut off the line supply from Turkey to Aleppo, which is occupied by al-Nusra and their allied forces. By the time Secretary of State John Kerry met with head of the Syrian opposition delegation Riyab Hijab on 23rd of January, it was clear to the Obama administration that the military position of the Assad regime was now much stronger and armed opposition was significantly weaker. In fact, the possibility of a decisive defeat exists for the first time in light of the Russian Syrian strategy of cutting off the supply lines of the al-Nusra front. What Kerry told Hijab, as stated in the website Middle East Briefing, reflected a new tack by the administration in light of that political-military reality. He made it clear that there would be no preconditions for the talks and no formal commitment that they would achieve the departure of Assad at any point in the future. The armed opposition and its supporters have been shocked by the shift in the Obama administration policy. But they shouldn't be. The previous Syria policy was based in large part on what appeared to be a favorable political opportunity in Syria. It had seen such an opportunity because of its covert operation launched in 2013 to equip so-called moderate armed groups with anti-tank missiles from Saudi stocks, which had strengthened the Nusra Front and its military allies. American-Syrian specialist Joshua Landis estimated last October that 60 to 80 percent of the missiles had ended up in the hands of Nusra Front in Syria. Those weapons were the decisive factor in the Nusra-led army of conquest takeover of Idlib province in April 2015 and the seizure of territory on the Algab plain in Hama province, which is the main natural barrier in the Sunni-populated area inland and the Alavi stronghold of Latakia province on the sea. That breakthrough by al-Nusra and its allies, which threatened the stability of the Assad regime, was serious enough to provoke the Russian intervention in September last year. The Obama administration is no longer counting on a military balance favorable to the armed opposition to Assad to provide a reason for concession by the regime. Whether military success against the armed opposition will be decisive enough to translate into a resolution of the conflict remained to be seen. In the meantime, the Syria peace negotiations are likely to continue to be at standstill. The United States launched the War of Terror on September 11, 2001. 
Since then, over 61,000 terrorist attacks have killed more than 140,000 people. Many more, however, have died in the wars of regime change in Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria and Libya. Millions have fleed their homes and there is no end in sight to all this madness. Do the political leaders understand the extent of the problems they have created? Are we irrelevant bystanders, or is there something we can do that will make a difference? The Western media is now actively trying to undermine Russia's contribution and role in recent victories, with a stream of misleading, unsubstantiated or authenticated accusations of inhumane attacks and war crimes. At the same time, Russia, in conjunction with the Syrian government, have launched a peace initiative centering around a general ceasefire, while the Turkish and Saudi Arabians have announced joint military exercises and that Saudi aircraft will conduct airstrikes from Inkalik Air Base in Turkey. Turkey's attempt to paint the Kurds of the YPG as a terrorist threat to rank with ISIS is not going down well in Washington, where the Kurds are rightly viewed as an invaluable ground component of the anti-ISIS struggle and have recently received US and Russian air support it is obvious the Russian diplomats are doing everything they can to avert this intervention in Syria. What is clear is that if Turkey escalates the conflict with Russia in Syria, that a key decision will be if NATO is prepared to go to war with Russia to protect Erdogan. It is hard to imagine that the US and NATO will do something so crazy, but unfortunately war always have the potential to very rapidly get out of control. The current situation is very dangerous and requires level-headed consideration. But in the case that Turkey decides to proceed with the conflict, Turkey has no chance of winning. In the United States, it does not look as if the lessons of history and war have taken hold amongst the politicians who have leading the world into yet more Vietnams in the Middle East. Homeless veterans beg in the streets. The US economy is going down the tubes with a debt of $13 trillion, and yet all we hear are calls for American leadership to save the world. Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, Libya, the list of quagmires grows daily. When do we say enough? When will Americans go home? Just to sum it up, Washington and its allies want regime change, while Russia and Iran insist that President Bashar al-Assad and his elected government are the legitimate representatives of the Syrian people. Western powers and their regional partners, Saudi Arabia, Turkey and Qatar, are insisting on ousting Assad. This unlawful interference in the affairs of a sovereign state is the crux of the problem. The most recent challenge to Medicare by the Turnbull government. In a matter of days, over 50,000 Australians have signed onto the campaign to stop the Americanisation of Medicare. But many of you are wanting to do more. Help tip the Turnbull government's radical privatisation changes in the bin. With polling just out showing a massive 55% 
of the Coalition's own supporters disapprove of Turnbull's plans to outsource Medicare payments to for-profit providers, now is a perfect time to show nervous Coalition backbenchers what a massive community uproar their plans are brewing. Tens of thousands of people stood with our nurses, doctors and public health professionals yesterday at rallies across the country in a National Day of Action on Healthcare. This is only the start of the campaign to defeat the Coalition Government. Christian Lobby Seeks Anti-Discrimination Override for Plebiscite Campaign The leading advocates for a no vote on same-sex marriage are pushing the Federal Government to override the anti-discrimination laws during the up-and-coming plebiscite campaign. The Australian Christian Lobby, ACL, are calling for a temporary change to ensure the No campaign can speak freely during the debate to legalise same-sex marriage. The ACL Managing Director, Lynn Shelton, told Fairfax Media his organisation was very concerned about fairness during the campaign as state anti-discrimination laws in particular have such a low threshold. Pointing to a case in Tasmania where the Catholic Church had faced questions from the state's anti-discrimination commissioner over a Don't Mess With Marriage booklet, Mr Shelton warned those who argue against same-sex marriage would be faced with the constant threat of quasi-full-blown legal action. As well as federal laws, all states and territories have anti-discrimination laws which prohibit discrimination on the basis of sexuality. However, the specifics of the laws varies between jurisdiction. And Mr Shelton said the ACL has pressed for some sort of setting aside of these anti-discrimination laws. Mr Shelton stressed that those in the No campaign were not seeking to say anything bigoted, but to put forward the millennia-old argument that marriage should only be between a man and a woman. The Law Council of Australia said any exemptions when it came to marriage, discriminatory behaviour when it came to marriage equality, should be construed as narrowly as is absolutely necessary. People cannot use their religious belief as an excuse to unlawful discrimination in business and the same principle would apply to public political campaigns. It's impractical and unnecessary to suspend anti-discrimination laws in every state and territory, National Director Rodney Coombe said. The yes and no campaigns should work out an agreement between themselves on how the debate should be conducted. Both sides should be mature enough to sit down and agree on the framework for a free and respectful debate facilitated by the Human Rights Commission or some other impartial body. That's all we have time for today. Thank you for listening to Alternative News brought to you from the community radio station 3CR. I'm Romina Betson and Andrew Irving. Looking forward to your company again next week. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.